Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. guys, thanks again for joining us. This is Dental Acquisition Uncensored, and we are in the middle of Shark Week. Uh, here we go. Another great episode coming from NorCal, Northern California. And we're, again, brokers across the entire country. In this particular episode, it didn't go 100% in the direction that I thought it was going to. But Tim, my new next guest, Man, he drops a ton of great information. He's a fast talker. We had some connection issues, so 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 hang in there. But we talked about, you know, the what a unicorn practice really looks like. We talked about the Delta uh, issues with PPO and fee for service and buying practices in California and and Delta Premier and all that craziness. Talk about how to actually qualify what a good practice is to buy and not. And then what was really interesting at the end was we talked about how your professionals can actually get you into trouble on these deals. Everybody talks about how you got to have the the best the best professionals on your team, but Tim's right. Nobody talks about how professionals can really screw up your deal. So stay tuned, hang in there towards the end because we get to that and and that's a real thing. Professionals can screw up the deal. Let's get it going. Acquisition Uncensored. The truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dincio. Okay, okay, everyone. Thanks so much for joining another great episode here on uh, Acquisition Uncensored. Shark, we're in the middle of Shark Week and we're having a lot of fun. Um, uh, if this is your first episode for Shark Week, this is Practice Brokers Shark Week. It's a week of the top practice brokers uh, in the country from coast to coast. And today we have uh, a special guest and friend of mine who covers uh, uh, the, the Northern California market, uh, some of uh, Arizona and a tad bit in, in Nevada and and Tim, you can you can help me if I screwed that up. But it's Tim Derue with Western Practice Sales, um, a former past president of ADS. Which, which for those of you that don't don't know ADS, ADS is a national brokers group or affiliation. And maybe Tim could get into that. But this guy is legendary, and we got lucky to have him on the program. So Tim, thanks for being thanks for being on, brother. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks. So Tim, you cover NorCal. And uh, you're you're the guy there, and and NorCal and California in general, and you know what? I'll even take that one step further. Is the coasts are often challenging markets in practice sales for a lot of reasons. They tend to sell for higher and all kinds of things like that. But the coasts uh, and particular NorCal can be a challenging market, and we're going to get into some of that. But Tim, you dominate in that market, and uh, so tell us a little bit about. Western Practice Sales and the company that you have started, or, or not started, but have been running for years. Yeah, now. yeah, it's been around. Uh, Western Practice Sales has been around about forty years, believe it or not. And John Noble, who's still with me, uh, is uh, was one of the main brokers back in the day. Um, 
I got out of dental school in 83, uh, moved out here in 2000 and, and around in, uh, 2001. Anyway, the guy that used to own Western Practice Sales was a past associate dean of uh, University Pacific. And I was going to take a get at my license here. And I was going to take the board. And they introduced me to Bob Gartrell, who uh, introduced me to the deans at UOP, who were going to get me patients. And he goes, hey, you want to sell some dental practices before you get your license? I go, sure, why not? You know, and, and in about four months, I go, hey, you want to sell me this business so I don't have to take the board? And he goes, yeah, you work for me another year and I'll sell you the business. And so that's how I just kind of fell into being owning Western Practice Sales as of 2001. So, um, so you know, I, I Feel like first of all, I'm a dentist. My wife's a dentist. We practiced together in Scottsdale for almost 20 years, um, and then my daughter just got out of dental school four years ago. She's been a Navy dentist for the last four years, and she married one of her her classmates. So my son-in-law is a dentist. So plenty of dentists still in the family. Um, <laughs> I had you know one one other kid, uh, a son who's an investment banker. So we all joke that he was the smart one out of us all of us dentists. So as an as an ex banker, he is not the smart one. I can promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a pretty good arena down in LA. Both kids went to UCLA, and then and Amy went to Loma Linda Dental School, but, and that's why I really enjoy, you know, the, the uh, interacting with the buyers, because basically, you know, I, I have a love for that. Obviously us brokers for the most part, always represent sellers, you know, but we spend all our time and money trying to cultivate a database of buyers to try to make the perfect match, you know, contrary to the ADAPT program in, in the ADA. I mean, we've been doing that forever. It's not like we haven't been. It's, uh, and, and, you know, again, it's just, a, and, and since we have one of the best databases out here, and some of that has, you know, to do with our affiliation with uh, ADS being a national portal that spends a lot of budget on those things. We try to cultivate, you know, the most uh, amount of buyers possible so we can make that best match for anybody that lists their practice with us. And, you know, I've got a DDS, John has an MBA, uh, John has a, um, an MBA and Ed has a JD and a, and a CPA. So we, we kind of feel like we're, you know, at the top level, as far as we're just not some brokers that got out of high school and thought we'd uh, do real estate and then sell dental practices. So, you know, yeah. so we've been around for a long time. Um, and it's, it's, uh, we're busy. We'd probably do, we probably did 130 practices last year. Wow. Ever done. Okay. So folks, um, folks, let me, and Tim, I'm going to interrupt you and I'm sorry, but I need permission there. But I, when, when you say something that sparks something, 130 practices, folks is a lot, like a lot of practice sales. And so just to give you an indication of like, and that's a great question, by the way, to ask a broker is, you know, how many practices did you guys transition last year? Because I'm going to tell you that, that, you know, a lot of you may not know who the quote unquote biggest players are in the market. And so that would be a quick question that you could ask a broker is how many did you guys work with? If they say five, well, they probably don't have a lot of listings, but if someone says 130, like Tim just said, like that's somebody that you want to call a lot and make sure that, Hey, Tim, if you have a practice in this particular area, think of me like that. That's a, that's a place that, that, that should spark something in you. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's a lot, Tim. Congratulations. That's great. Oh, thanks. Well, again, that's interesting because as a, you know, I, I still feel like as a dentist first, I mean, I tell all my young dentists, you know, they got to call every broker in the area that has a practice. And, you know, I always say, hopefully it, it's mine, but if it's my competitors and it's a practice that fits you, 
you know, go buy it. I mean, it's kind of a thing mm-hmm. now, you know, they can ask me some questions, but they're better off if they give you a call and ask you some questions and just do some of the basics as we, you and I have done in the past, looking at different practices. Um, but again, I, you know, I think that's the unique part. I mean, I'll tell every young buyer, you know, call every broker in your, in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if, you know, if sellers are listening to this, I mean, they go, Oh yeah, they'll, they'll hear that. Oh, do it. Can I, can I present uh, personalized attention? Well, yeah. I mean, I quarterback so many, John quarterback so many, Ed quarterback so many of my other guys. I mean, so you always have a personal touch and we have a phenomenal staff as Mike can attest through the deals. I mean, you know, when you ask a question and need a document, bam, we have it like instantly. So, mm-hmm. so I think we run a pretty, you know, good machine where a lot of guys are, they're a one man show. They're trying to do everything on their own. And, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, the thing, that's the thing I, we have this amazing database, you know, with one touch of a button, I can put a practice out to 4,000, 5,000, and dentist in one touch in an instant, you know? So, mm-hmm. so that's why we're trying to cultivate this database for the buyers, but, um, if, you know, and it helps the sellers, but again, that whole matching thing that, you know, adapt kind of things that, you know, us brokers are missing No, we're, you know, we have every intention of, of making a good fit. The question is, what is a good fit? And, you know, you'll be getting into that because that's kind of what you're trying to help these buyers do. So, yeah, no, I, that kind of leads me right to my first question though, Tim is like, you know, this whole program, we're going through the start to the finish of an acquisition. And we've already talked about banking. We've talked about like understanding your vision and what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but the the thing that's really interesting is, is that the practice brokers, it, if you haven't heard that folks in the whole series of Shark Week is the, these practice brokers want a successful transit transition that that's what they want. They don't want to sell you something and then it fail. Like that's the worst possible scenario. And so I guess my, my first question to you is, is when you do get these calls from the buyers, what, what's that conversation going to sound like? And, and is there a difference between some buyers versus other buyers? And what walk me through that scenario? Because I, I've got to, I, I got to believe that you're attracted as a broker to certain buyers than others. Let's talk about that. Does that make sense? <laughs> I'm not sure about that last one. I, I, I kind of have a reputation of being very frank, blunt, and honest. But having said that, you've seen our financial package. And, you know, and I'll say this, and people kind of chuckle because they hear it a lot. But you know, I'm helping my son-in-law look at practices out in North Carolina now when my daughter finishes off her Navy gig. And as far as I'm concerned, my financial package has everything you would need to make a reasonable decision on that. Um, the point is that, you know, I write these articles. My, one of my favorites is, you know, the million dollar question. I, I mean, I think, you know, you can help these buyers basically get through this information because, you know, I didn't even know these reports existed when I was a practicing dentist. So, so my daughter always teases me, dad, well, this is what you do for a living now. And I go, you know, you're right. I, I didn't run all these reports as a, as a practitioner. So I'm trying to educate my buyers how to begin the process of what they're looking for. And, you know, so that procedure code analysis, the procedures are there uh, to me, the profi count exam count towards production. You know, there's a range that you're going to start to see when, when you look at 150 practices a year, like I do, you know, and then, you know, and I can look at a practice and kind of go, wow, if I took that over, I know what my skill sets were. I'm going to kill it. And I look at other practices and kind of go, wow, I, I don't, I never did surgical implants. I never did ortho. I hated molar endo. I loved, you know, 
partial bony extractions and soft tissues, but I mean, there's, we all have our own, you know, kind of skill sets, but that's part of that package. And so that's where you start to kind of try to decipher this process. And so I'm frustrated to be honest with you now, Mike, is that some of these guys, you know, they hire an attorney that knows nothing about dentistry and nothing about the business of dentistry. And they start asking questions that have nothing to do to answer the biggest part of the due diligence is that, is this a good match for me based on my skill sets, number one, and, you know, and my diagnosing, you know, some people, you know, we have an opinion that they overdiagnose. Well, they think they're Goldilocks. They think they're perfect. And, you know, and I, I kind of got past making that judgment after I started doing so many. I, I mean, I used to judge like, wow, this guy's really an aggressive diagnoser. Or, wow, this guy's really too conservative. Man, he ought to be doing more dentistry here. Well, that's my opinion as a dentist. You can put a, a patient in between in a room of me and my wife, my daughter, my son-in-law, a couple of my classmates. We'll have 10 different treatment plans, you know, and that's going to make a huge difference in this practice that we would purchase, you know, based on. So how do you help these guys get there? But even at the end of the day, you know, they got to look at that chart to kind of go, ah, that guy doesn't diagnose anything. Or they got to look at that chart and go, whoa, you know, I mean, I, you know, I'm looking at a bunch of occlusal fillings and there's, you know, 15 crowns after that. I was like, man, that's not, you know, that, that, that looks crazy. You know, the thing is with those kind of practices, you don't, you know, make a low ball offer. You, you run away, you know, it's something like that. But, but so, I mean, I really, I mean, you need somebody like Mike to kind of coach you through that. But at the end of the day, you got to own your decision. And to me, you know, Mike is beneficial in helping you find this million dollar question. What am I going to be able to do with this patient base in, in my own hands? And, you know, an accountant doesn't know that. An attorney doesn't know that. At least, you know, somebody like Mike knows how to look at these reports and kind of help decipher, you know, and help you understand, you know, maybe where well, you, you fit in this Goldilocks, you know, this, this range of, and we're never exactly alike, you know, I mean, so maybe you do Invisalign and the guy doesn't, you know, maybe you, or you can kind of tell you do some molar endo now and he doesn't, well, maybe his skill sets as far as communication and selling treatment plans are better than yours. Well, they should be after 40 years, you know, compared <laughs> to years, two years out of school. So well, you're I, never going to match. So. I thought, I found that like it, you, you're going off on, on that topic. And I, and I love that because I found that just because it doesn't fit you perfectly. Okay. So you did five, 10 cases of Invisalign just because you don't do Invisalign. The impact of five, 10 cases is not that big of a deal. Right. And so my job half the time as a buyer's rep is to really analyze the true impact because half the time it's not as big as yeah, you might right. might think, you know. Yeah, you, you get so, rid of you know some of the, the you know the surgical implants, or you get rid of whatever some molar endo that you say you're not going to do, or whatever or the you know soft tissue impacts that you don't want to touch. But then you kind of look at, well, gosh, I'd probably be doing some of these other things instead. But yeah, the point is, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it's it's kind of like this gut feel. I mean, and again, it it really is more of a gut feel that you know you know that that your I don't, I mean, I don't you know, say aggressiveness or whatever the case is, your opinion on what needs to be done compared to what you could watch and things like that. Um, you know, if that, you know, somewhat close to matches, I mean, you know, if you're, you know, I mean, the funny thing is the accountants and the attorneys will see what I would call the really overly aggressive guy, you know, guess what? His tax return looks fantastic. You know what I mean? He's making a ton of money. This looks like the best practice ever. And so all these consultants, you just paid $5,000 to go look at this stuff, say, oh, wow, this is awesome. 
well, by golly, you know, guess what? It's awesome on paper, but I mean, yeah. the point is it comes down to, you know, can you do the work? I mean, so, yeah. so again, and so it's so funny because yeah, what we're trying to avoid is, is that mismatch of skill sets and, and the diagnosing aspect of what, you know, you think needs to be done in the, on these treatment plans. And so, so again, and oh, guess what? Only the dentist really can do that. Um, you know, again, I'm not, you know, when I lump all these consultants, I'm not trying to lump Mike into that because at least, you know, my dental consultants that are used to looking at these reports can kind of at least help look at these things and steer, you know, the doctor to take a look at some of these issues to say, okay, you know, yeah, do you do the smaller end of deal? You know, again, you, you know, and Mike has a feel like when you see everybody has, you know, active patients. I don't know if, I don't know if you want to just keep me rambling and you're just going to interrupt me whenever you want. <laughs> no, yeah. no, there, there's some really, there's some really good stuff in there. So keep rambling. I'll cut y'all yeah this is perfect okay. keep going yeah uh you know active patients i mean you know wells fargo still tells their clients to ask for active patient counts we have it all in our material never to give that number because i can count a totally different number than anybody you know that is the point what's that mean i think it's anybody's been in your office at least once in two years some people say it's a year and a half some people say what's well, only count them only if they're in an active recall well, some of my best referring patients only showed up once every five years because they hated the dentist but loved me and they referred like the entire neighborhood to me <laughs> they, they wouldn't be considered an active patient so so the point is i mean i don't think that that number is is not a tangible number but you know exam counts and profi counts are they're right there and so start looking at your exam and profi counts compared to production and then you'll yeah. start going oh this yeah. guy did a thousand profis last year and a thousand exams and he produced seven hundred thousand that's kind of my average number i had a practice uh, a great guy went to my school but he did he did invisalign he did straight wire he did implants he did molar endo i mean there was not one thing this guy referred out he did 700 you know exams a year and did 1.2 well you know i mean it wasn't a charlatan overdiagnosed or he just had skill sets that i didn't have you know mm -hmm. so yeah i mean even you know, i'm pretty confident dentist i look back and go, well i'd be lucky to do you know basically i'd be lucky to do eight hundred thousand out of that practice i mean yeah so, well so, let, you know, yeah would, let's, I, would i make my offer on that yeah I, I i you'd have to let's talk about that for a second so what you're doing tim is you're put you're kind of I think there's a lot to be said for like, uh, as a, as a buyer approaches and, and you're doing it with your, your daughter and your son-in-law and uh, you're, you're approaching these practice brokers uh, prospectuses or reports. And in a lot of ways, they're very subjective and, you know, there's the quality level of these prospectuses can range vastly. And you, and I'm not saying this yeah. Because yeah. I'm not saying this to because you're on the show, your prospectus is, is definitely one of my favorites because it, it gives me all the meat and potatoes. I would say that's not very common. And now that you've been looking with your daughter, you probably realize, too, that it's it's the quality is just totally off. But, you know, the practice broker does the best they can in representing the practice that they have. And, and like I just said, that the range of the, the prospectus is different. But at the end of the day if we could over oversimplify this is, is exactly what you're saying is it always comes back to the fit for you and that particular practice and you as a buyer versus another buyer versus another buyer are all going to look at it differently. That's the, that's what I'm hearing you say. 
but the bottom line is again we're all about you know you want a good match you know i mean so you and i talked about this other issue we can bring up at the same thing it's you know the delta dental in california i mean other states but that one issue is not that'll be some people run away screaming with their hair on fire which you see happen all the time you know, some accounts in some banks you know kind of you know start the buyer's hair on fire and tell them to run and scream and you know hit the panic button i mean honestly i wouldn't buy a practice that wasn't delta premier that's my honest opinion why is that nicest patients they they appreciate quality work you know now having said that i would never i'm not going to let my daughter's son-in-law be a delta provider in california i would never let them work for a 750 dollars crown that's bullshit sorry my french you can edit that out but you know it's it's just you know everybody should say no to delta you know and this whole thing at this grandfather in is just a stealth secret way to screw all you young buyers from delta they'll tell you that oh yeah of course you're you're going to be both you're going to be a, a premier provider and a dpo provider well 96 percent of their clients are on the cheaper fee schedule and my sellers don't quite understand that they get paid 100 percent of their clients get paid on the premier fee schedule now having said that there's a way to to transition to be out of network i know there's issues i don't want to get deep into the weeds on that but they haven't raised that premier fee schedule for five six seven years that premier fee schedules is usually 25 percent less than most of my guys' quality practice is UCR already, so they're already taking a hit with the premier fee schedule, much less to take another 30% hit to go to the crappy fee schedule. So again, I mean, all of us dentists have to basically say no to Delta, and you know, guess what? I think they'll come around someday, but it only stops when you tell them no, you know, and so they've yeah. got such a control going on, you know, I, you know, send the checks to the patients, but there's ways to get around those things, but the narrative would be like, hey, we'll honor this fee schedule that hasn't been, haven't been raised in six years and the patient should go, what? The fees hasn't been raised in six years? That's impossible. There's inflation going on. Yeah, I know. This fee schedule is already 3% my usual fee schedule. No kidding, doctor, but you're going to honor that for me? Yes. Well, yeah, guess what? The, the payment from Delta is going to be less than they anticipated unless they are one of those few premier. But I mean, again, at some point, unless you want to race to the bottom with crappy fees, you just have to say no. And eventually, don't you want the patients that appreciate quality work and want to see you and are happy to pay whatever, two, $300 extra for a crown every once in a while to get a nice quality crown from you? Those, that's who you want to go to every day in your profession for the next 30 years. Do you really want to go to somebody that doesn't care who you are and could give a crap, but you know, whatever. And, and uh, you know, just uh, wants a crown for 700 bucks. That, that's the guy you want to target your practice to. I hope not. I mean, if you're really fast and you have some cheap lab in Taiwan, you can make it work. But I mean, again, it's just that's it's your call. So let's so let's talk about let's talk about that. I I'll chime in on that. So we've had a a lot of conversations about Delta over, I guess we could say the years now, where um yeah, it, it is a concern. I I, I think uh, this the folks, this is a national program. We're in California talking to Tim Giroux and in Western practice sales, and he is in California. And Delta is very difficult to work with in California. In Washington State, they're being very uh, uh, amicable on these fees and matching matching some of the sellers' fee schedules. And and it's different across the whole country. And I don't think everybody really does understand that. Um, so it is a state by state type situation. But with that all being said. Tim's making a great argument for going to fee for service versus staying uh, and playing the insurance game. And 
I, I think it comes down to Tim, Tim Doc, uh, like to me, it's more about does the buyer have the ability or does the team have the ability to have a good, a good solid conversation with the patient and, and walk the patient through the actual process of insurance and what it actually means to them and how it's going to actually affect their, their pocketbook. If they, if you have the skill to have effective communication and you have the, your team has the skill level to have effective communication, you've got a better chance at fighting this problem. Would you agree with that? Like, it's all about communication. Well, it's all about communication. I mean, I wish my sellers would, you know, dump the Delta a year prior to selling their practice and just, you know, them do it. It would be a better situation, but that's part of the process. I'm going through one of these now We're, you know, we're just going to, once we get a agreed upon price and get through things, we're going to ask the seller to start that process before we even announce to the, the, you know, the patients that uh, we're going to have a, you know, have a, have a, a uh, you know, a sale and, and you know, and then, yeah, the seller's going to stick around, do some surgical implants and we'll have some nice things as far as that goes. But so it's all about the conversation, you know, uh, you know, and so the patients need to understand that, you know, dentistry is not supposed to be for free. Obviously, you know, Mike and I w- went through, uh, uh, well, uh, not, but Mike and I went, went through a transition not too long ago and one of the most expensive neighborhoods in the country. And, you know, of course, this discussion came up, but why in the world, if you're in like the most affluent neighborhood in, in the entire world, practically, that you would want to do a crown for $800, you know, I mean, that, that's just, and, and I think the buyer decided that she was going to try that for a while. And I'm thinking like, why in the world would you do that? I mean, cause you know, this was the misinformation I think we gave years ago and we were all kind of guilty of it. We told, told the buyers to go along with it, take the cut. And then after a year or two, when you get to know these patients, then maybe raise your fee. But, you know, I think that's the wrong approach, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, once you already take the cut, you've already kind of told them what your crown's worth, you know, and, and then then the whole, the whole point of this is like, let's say in this neighborhood, you know, most of the crowns are going for fourteen to $1,500, let's say, um, you know, and Delta's paying eleven fifty, So you're already at a 30% cut already. And then you cut it down to 800. And then what in two years, you're going to tell them, oh, but by the way, my, my crown fees double now compared to what you've been paying. I mean, so, you know, again, this uh, I I think unfortunately you know the idea was to have the buyer get to know the patients first. I mean I don't know. I mean I think you just need the seller support in that first. Is my humble opinion on this. Are you going to lose some patients? Of course you are. But do you really want to work for eight hundred dollars a crown? Yeah. yeah, for your whole life. Because at some point, aren't you going to have to make that decision? How far? To the, you know, some some of these practices. I mean, some of the other PP, you know, the PPOs pay better than the crappy Delta. You know, they'll pay even what the Delta Premier fee schedule is. Maybe you choose to keep those. But you know, I mean, again, at some point, you gotta you gotta decide when to say no. And again, it could be neighborhood. I mean, if you're in other places, I'll say East San Jose. Well, yeah, I mean, the Crown. There's a lot of people race to the bottom there. You have to figure out how to, if that's your turf, you got to figure out how to play that game, no matter what, basically what it comes down to. So it, it is kind of a mm-hmm. case by case basis. It, it, and, and it always will be, there's never going to be something that we yeah. say on this, on this program or in, uh, in a book or some seminar, it, you're going to get generic information folks, but it really is a case by case. That's why some of these Facebook, um, these, these Facebook, um, you know, forums where I see people 
giving free advice and free advice is free advice. I mean, it, it, you get what you pay for. And, and, and a lot of cases, even this program could be considered free advice. It, it's, it's a case by case folks like Tim's, Tim, uh, Tim's suggestions today are, are really related to NorCal. Don't take those to Kansas city and it's going to be different. Right. And so, um, you gotta, you gotta really weigh your scenario. Uh, everybody has their own scenario, but Tim, let's transition real quick. Um, I, I've been having the conversation with, with, uh, all of the practice brokers on the program. And, and it's this conversation of like a, uh, a well-oiled machine practice, throwing off tons of cash, the unicorn practice that everybody wants versus the fixer upper, so to speak. And it's that conversation of like, what do you get with either one? And, you know, the, the, the reality is, is everybody wants the unicorn and there are only so many of those, right? So then, yeah. so then the conversation then should go into well, what the other practices, what's good about the other practices? Cause you only get so many of the unicorns and there's going to be a line out the door to buy those. And they're going to be paid. Someone's going to pay way over value, quote unquote, <laughs> way over value for those unicorn, right? Cause that's what everybody wants. But then the question is, is like, how do you make one of these average bread and butter practices or the fixer uppers work? Like, uh, do you get into these conversations with buyers? I'm sure you do all the time. Well, you know, that what's interesting about that is that, um, um, again, uh, I mean, uh, we might have a different, different definition of unicorn on uh, some of that too, but, um, you know, the, 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 uh, obviously, from what I just said there, you know, comparing, like I said, you know, I, I have other practice. Well, I, you know, I have about four articles that I think are the best articles for my buyers. And it kind of addresses that through a couple of them and overlaps a little bit. But the point is, you know, I had a practice that was doing like, you know, 350000 one time in San Jose. And, and I priced it at like three twenty five, and people thought I was nuts, you know. And the reason I did is because it was like a fifty year old practice. The father sold it to his son. The son really didn't want to be a dentist. He was going into real estate. You could just tell he just didn't do anything in this practice. This practice probably had two thousand active patients. Let's say maybe back in the day, you know, we counted them, you know, like that or whatever. I mean, I could tell. Well, the first year, the buyer, the buyer, you know, I pointed that out. All her experts told her not to buy it. It was overpriced. And, you know, I went in there and showed her everything. We went over the reports. It was like, if you don't do 800000 out of here your first year, I mean, I'll buy you a steak dinner kind of a thing. And sure enough, she, she first year she buys it, she does like 900000 Well, you know, again, is, is that the unicorn? No, that's not the unicorn you're talking about. It, it was a dump, you know. That had, things had been had fixed up for 40 years. It was the fixer-upper for 325000 But the point is, again, if you – you got to know what you're looking at, you know? So when you're just telling your accountant to look at this tax return, you know, he doesn't know how to look <laughs> at the charts records and see what's really there. So, so again, that's, you know, that's some of the whole point of this, you know, is, is, um, but it is, yeah, it's up to the dentist to kind of understand that. And, you know, and so many of them think they just have to listen to every word, every syllable their attorney tells them or their accountant tells them. And again, you're the, you're the one that's best person to be able to make that determination on that. So now if you have a practice that doesn't have this healthy patient base and you're in a spot, you know, that, that there's some competition and it's only throwing off 500,000 collections and, you know, maybe that's what it should be. There's a decent, you know, maybe the patient counts a little higher possibly. So you think you have a little room to grow. 
I mean, I'm not going to tell you that I, how you can grow practice. I see people do scratch certs. I see them do that. I would probably refer them to more to somebody like Mike or somebody in the territory that, you know, has had experience. What, what marketing works in that area? I mean, have you done the demographics to say, this is your spot? I mean, again, if this is, you know, you're making a 30 year decision. If this is, you know, the school district you want your kids to be in or close to it, or, you know, it's close to home. I mean, there's, there's also many other factors to me that, you know, should make up this decision, but as far as somebody telling you that yeah i think i you know i yeah i think you're gonna get 40 new patients a month in here all you gotta do is show up well i i don't say that you know i just don't know what to say but but I, do i see people actually do that sometimes yeah i do i i wish i knew that exact secret sauce but that's not the business i'm in so yeah no i it's an interesting thing like i most of my buyers they they want specific things and I hear all the time from practice brokers, oh, they're looking for a unicorn, they're looking for a unicorn. And I, I, to your point, people's definitions of unicorns are different. But the truth is, is, is uh, it is a case-by-case scenario. There's a lot, there's a lot to go into the, the, the decision, ge- geographic, uh, geographical, lifestyle, competition, you as a producer. I mean, there's a hundred things, but I, I think what you're going to find in all of these episodes with the, with all the practice brokers and shark week is you got to have a game plan for how you're going to take the practice and run with it. Um, you got to have a game plan and whether it's a fixer upper or a, a, a well-oiled machine, still you got to have a game plan post transition. Um, that that's been the overwhelming uh, advice from all of these interviews, Tim, and you're, 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 you're saying the same thing. Um, yeah. G- give me, well, yeah, you go gotta ahead. Know yourself, you know, you got to know yourself. I mean, you know, I was kind of talking about, you You know, want that perfect practice for all these nice patients that really like you. Well, guess what? I mean, there's, there's a lot of us dentists that don't have a personality that don't really like to talk to people and, and, you know, they can't even see themselves in, you know, doing that. Well, you know, guess what? That that PPO practice where the patients are going there because of the PPO and hey, you're you're pretty good with your hands, you know how to run a business. That could be the best thing you ever do. You know, I mean, um, you know, my practice was more personality based and enjoy that. You know, my wife and I both could talk to people, it was fun, you know, they're like first name basis things. That's not that's not everybody's practice, right? So so again, shocker. Hey Tim, shocker try to push yourself shocker, shocker, Tim, that your practice was the personality practice. <laughs> no, sorry, I cut you off, but yeah. <laughs> no, but you know, don't don't you know, if you're a square peg, don't put yourself into a round hole. I'm not saying that on either whatever that means. You know, I'm not trying to say, but that's the thing. You know, and of course, I think that's you know, you know, you know, the square pegs and the and the and the, and the round pegs are basically hiring all these same people to basically tell them, oh yeah, that's a great practice to buy. And again looks like it on paper, but boy, you got to, you got to own that decision. The, like I said, the million dollar question, what, what are you going to do with this? But it gets back to what you say, you have to have your game plan and then at least recognize what you're looking at. You know, look at those profi counts, those patient counts, look at what, you know, you know what procedures are being done and, and look, you know, and, and make some kind of determination on that, how your diagnosing skills and aggressive nature can, you know, relates to theirs. And of course it's easier for an, a, more of aggressive diagnoser with more skill sets to go into a practice that where 
the guy's not, and he's referring a lot of things out. Yeah, those are. I'm not. That's not necessarily a unicorn, but certainly that's your kind of your game plan. You can just look at the, you know, that the the patient base that's there and the amount of work that's being done, and know that you bring more to the table that's being done. And again, then you might look at one where it's the opposite. Maybe it's in your perfect neighborhood. It's in exactly this your kid school district and everything else. Well, though your choices are you could spend five hundred thousand dollars for a buildup in there with zero patients, zero revenue, nothing there. Which they, people still do that. I don't even know why. I think that's crazy, you know. Or you know, maybe you pay this, pay five hundred thousand for this, and it's only doing five hundred a year. Well, guess what? What's a better investment? Five hundred thousand dollars at hundred percent gross receipt of the practice with you know. That would be maybe you know 600 patients or whatever that would be, or starting with nothing, you know, and it was zero patients and trying to meet, you know. So, so again, it's interesting, you know, what are you trying, you know, if this is your best, you know, this is your sweetheart location, that trumps a few things too. And if they want 100% for their practice and it's going to go for that because it's in Cupertino next to Google or something like that, well, you know, yeah, you, if you want to be in that neighborhood, you. You know, it's like buying a house there. You can't, you know, if the, all the yeah. houses are going for two million and you only, you know, you only have a million dollars to buy a house, well, you're in the wrong neighborhood. You know, so, <laughs> so all those things kind of come up. Tim, you, I mean, you, you can't you, put yourself into positions where you think you can do better. You know, so no, I, I, that's that's perfect. That's been a common theme uh, throughout the series. I want to I want to finish on on this uh, question, and and I, I don't want the audience to get. I've known Tim for a while now. I understand where he's coming from with, with the comments, but by no, I could say this for Tim, by no means does he think you shouldn't have advisors or accountants or CPAs helping you. But I do want to cover this topic that I, I agree with, with Tim. It, it's why I'm a buyer's rep. They, they're, you're going to have advisors, bankers, CPAs, attorneys. He's made, he made some, hell, even some consultants that are only going to look at the things on paper, the black, <laughs> the black and white. And, and you're, you're a thousand percent, right. Be, that, that if I get a piece of paper, which with a bunch of data on it, it doesn't take a genius to tell you, Oh, this practice is profitable. You should buy it. Right. That's super easy. Folks be careful about the team that you do hire. I think that's, that's, that's a valuable lesson actually to talk about on this episode. Well- I think it's good because, you know, again, I appreciate you saying that because that's the takeaway. Something that I'll, that I'll hear, I'll get, you know, five attorneys call me in the next week about that, <laughs> that, that you know, and, and that's not, that that's not my point. You know, the point is, is that, you, you, you know, you should have your team, but you are the CEO of your team. And so you need to control them if they're, if they're giving you advice. And I just had a seller the other day tell me, Tim, you know, I mean, me and this buyer got along great. It was a fantastic transition. He thanked me. It's going wonderful. And he said, you know, the only, and we were getting along great. The the buyer and seller forever. We both eventually fired the attorneys and just used your contract. And it was awesome. Now, I mean, some attorneys started so many fights you know, between the guys. And of course, that's how these sellers look at it too. These buyers hires an attorney. They totally write up all this crazy stuff in the contract that they're protecting them with. And the, the seller's looking at this going, oh my God, you know, I mean, you know, so then he has to hire an attorney to beat some of the stuff back because some of it should be beat back. And then all of a sudden the fight's on. And all of a sudden these guys are getting along fantastic, you know, aren't getting along anymore. You know, and that's, mm-hmm. I don't see my, I don't see my attorneys understanding that enough sometimes, you know, I know they yeah. want to protect their client, but this is a relationship. And guess what, buyers, you're buying relationships. You're buying the relationship between the doctor and those thousand or 2000 patients or whatever there are. 
And you know, the most important thing you're buying is that relationship and that goodwill. And if, and if you're the CEO, if you're kind of seeing these changes that they're making and A, you don't understand that, but B, you should have enough common sense to know that they're kind of antagonistic. You know, you're the CEO, tell your guy, you know, maybe you need to back off a little bit. Can you explain why I have to be so harsh about this or why that needs to be changed? I mean, let's talk mm -hmm. about reality here. What's the chances of that really happening? Do we really have to make this an issue, you know? You're the CEO. This is your company. These are your advisors that you hired. My frustration is I see these guys spend five, ten thousand dollars on due diligence, and 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 honestly, sometimes they kill a deal that would have been fantastic, you know. And, and I'm thinking like, well, whatever, you know. It's just this is yeah. You know, I'm, again, nobody wants anybody to buy the wrong practice, but as a buyer, you got to take you got to take control of. The, the situation and understand what's going on here. And again, you know, sometimes there's a nice practice with a seller I don't trust. You know, honestly, me, I'll even, I'll probably mention somewhere along the line, well, you know, you gotta be careful. Maybe, I, you know, I mean, it's, it's just not, you know, I'm not, you know, everything's not rainbows and, and unicorns. Yeah. I, 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 I couldn't well, agree. Different, I, Mike. That's not going to always happen, but the point is, yeah. you know, so anyway, yeah, I, the point is, you know, the due diligence is so important. Your team is important, but understand that you have to learn how to filter out the noise and determine what is important to answer the question of what you're going to be able to do with that patient base. That that's the million dollar question, and you have to you have to be the CEO to filter out noise to be able to make a good decision. And if and you can't filter out some of the noise that you're going to get. I mean, and they're not intentionally giving you bad noise, but that's just how they're trained. You know, attorneys are trained in an adversarial system. That's how they're trained. Understand that, right? Your I think it's going to be kind of like that too. He thinks he has to look up all the bad things that he sees on this balance sheet or something like that. And again, even when, when they bless it, sometimes they're blessing a balance sheet of a guy that overdiagnoses everything. So understand that ultimately you have to understand you're the CEO and how to process all this information you're going to get from your team. I think that's a, that's a really good. And that's very, that's, that's spot on because it, it, that, I, I think that's a great place to end this, this episode because it's like, I know you could, I can tell you're having a lot of fun, but, but that, I think that's a really, really good place to end because it's a really important point in that don't rely 100% on your advisors. Listen to them. Don't be stupid and not listen but at the same time, this is kind of like your first act as a business owner and your have some have some ownership in the process is ultimately kind of yeah, what I'm hearing absolutely. Tim say is like, don't just blindly lead even me, you know, a, a dental consultant buyer rep. Ask me questions if you don't understand it, filter it through your own filter and, and own the process because I don't know everything. I'm not naive to know that. Your attorney doesn't know everything. I mean, at the end of the day, you do need to take uh, some ownership in the process. And I think that will do a lot of good. I, I always say to my clients, don't let the professionals screw this deal up for you. Don't let that happen. If you love this practice and it's a good fit for you, don't let the, the professional screw it up. And if it ever gets off the rails, pick up the phone and have a conversation with the seller. Because at the end of the day, you two are the ones doing this deal. Not all of us professionals. I wouldn't say that I would suggest you go ahead and call the sellers all the time. You got to work through the channels. But if anything ever gets off the rails, 
that's kind of a 911 button. So, um, yeah, so 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 I guess that's a that's a great place to transition Tim any any final words as we wrap this bad boy up? I mean, you you gave a, you gave us a lot of knowledge here in, in 30 40 minutes. No, that, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, we don't want you to call the sellers to negotiate the contract or anything else in there, but absolutely it's a relationship. You're you're calling so your first meeting with the seller is to convince the seller that you're the nicest guy to take over his patients and he's not going to run into his patients in Safeway. They start yelling and screaming about who the crazy person is that you sold my practice to. So, you know, your first job is to convince the seller that you're the nicest guy in the world and you're going to take care of these relationships that this guy's cultivated for 40 years. After that, negotiations usually become easier. And like Mike said, if it gets off the rails, make that phone call again and just convince a guy, hey, I'm still the same guy and he's going to and you see, the problem is the seller is going to attribute all these changes in the, that the attorney's doing to you. He's going to assume you're the CEO. So you may have to disown that. You know, and of course, saying, well, you know, I got to listen to my guy because he's my attorney. That's not going to cut it, to be honest with you. You need <laughs> to get that relationship back and just kind of say, okay, what do we need to talk about here? And what are the concerns? And because we want, so anyway, my point is you always, I want you to become best friends with my client. I'm always amazed that these buyers don't call up and hang out and then go to lunch and hang out in the office or do whatever. To me, if I'm spending any, 250 to a million dollars on a practice i want to get to know that guy i want to be in his back pocket for several weeks and just you know to have that happen and i don't see a lot of buyers do that i'm always perplexed yeah. you know i mean yeah. but i don't want them to call and negotiate the allocations or the price or anything like that anymore but i mean i do want them to become best friends exactly so mm-hmm. yeah that's that's perfect well tim Thanks so much for your time, dude. I I, uh, I I always like working working deals with you. It's always these super fun conversations we have. Wealth of knowledge, Denter, dentist yourself, 130 practices in one year. Imagine that over a 40 years. I know you haven't been doing it 40 years, but I mean, that's a lot of experience. So if you ever get Tim on the phone, ask him, ask him. He, he loves to give give advice. And, and, and I think he's he, he's a he's a good one to get advice. So Tim, thanks again for being on the program, my friend. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right, right, be good. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Uncensored. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dincio. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.